Again, we're jumping back in here. We're right here in the midst of what I would say a very pivotal point in and moment in the life of, of Abram. Um, and if we look back at chapters 16, 15, 14, and even a few before that, um, Abram's life and his response and even his faith, although it was counted to him as righteousness, um, it has wavered and it has um, struggled at different points in his implementation of obedience and following the Lord. At different times, what has he done? He's tried to take matters into his own hands, right? He's gone rogue a little bit and trying to, I know you said this, God, but I'm going to help you a little bit, right? And so Abram is definitely somebody that I think we can relate to. He's a guy that has a strong desire to love and follow hard after the Lord, but yet he has a hard time reconciling present circumstances with what God has said he will do. Right. And so that's that's where we're at in the life of of Abram. And so the title of this morning's message is the journey of faith. It's the journey of faith. And as we consider Abram's story, his own testimony, as well as our own story, can we not say our life of faith, our fellowship of Jesus Christ is very much a journey. Right. It is it is something that we um, rarely have just a, a static flat, just easy road, just walking step after step, following hard after God. That's that's rarely no incline, no decline, just a flat, easy, smooth road. Is that is that our life and our faith in Christ? No, it's in our flesh. It's very much a roller coaster. It's peaks. It's it's valleys. It's struggles. It's difficulties. It's successes and wins, but it's also failures and setbacks. Right. And and so this is where we're at even with the life of Abram. He's finding himself now in some older ages, advanced in years along with his wife, and he knows he's been given this promise 24 years ago when he was just 75, and he's, where, where are you at, God? Where, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful, I'm trying to believe and trust that what you said was true, but it's time, it's, it's now, I'm getting old and advanced in years and, and we can see the struggle and the fear and the anxiety starting to unfold here in chapters 17 and, and 18. And so uh, I hope this journey of faith that we see Abram continue to fight after, it's a journey of faith that we too should grab a hold of and be willing to fight for. Our faith is a battleground. It's warfare. When we consider following Christ. Can you resonate with that? I think of Peter, right? In Luke chapter number 22, he's followed Christ for these three years and he's passionately loving and following after him saying, hey, I would even die for you, Lord. And then when things don't go the way he thought they should go, his faith starts to wane. He ends up denying Christ three times and cursing and running out into the wilderness. But the beauty of that is that our faith in Christ is not up to us, right? It is God who initiates. It's God who maintains and God who completes our faith in Christ. It perseveres our faith to the end so that Christ in that Luke 22 passage says, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And so I love the Old Testament and New Testament. We see the same God running hard after and pursuing in, in divine persistence, 
keeping the faith of his people. So we see this in the life of, of Abram as well. And so that's where we find ourselves. So here in Genesis 17, after all the ups and downs in the life of Abram, we have God revealing himself once again to remind Abram of the promise that he had established all the way back in Genesis chapter number 12. I told you to turn to chapter 17, but just turn a couple pages to your left back over to chapter 12. And let's remember just briefly by way of context of where we're at. What was the promise that the Lord gave to Abram? He said this in verse one of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. At that point, Abram again is 75 years old and eagerly ready to see this promise fulfilled. Then turn back over to the right, chapter number 15 comes along and the Lord reveals himself once again to Abram. And at this point, we see what anxiety and uncertainty and struggle that Abram has developed over this predicament of trying to reconcile the promise of God in chapter 12. Again, with these present circumstances of of waiting. Does anybody like to wait here for something that's been promised? Right. Hope deferred makes the heart what? Sick. When somebody promises something, when they commit to something, you want to see that fulfilled when? Right now. Waiting is something in our human nature that is not fun. It's a struggle and it's a difficulty, but waiting is part of God's plan to shape us and mold us and to make us into what he would have us to be. And certainly that was part of God's plan for Abram. He's called him to a period in a season of waiting. Let's look at verses five and six of chapter 15. What was this promise that God reminded him of again in chapter 15? This is the actual covenant that God establishes with Abram, verses five and six. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Wow. So shall your offspring be. Then we have Abram in this bizarre twist of Sarai giving her servant Hagar to Abram so that they would obtain children by her. And Abram at the age of 86 is given Ishmael. Through Hagar, but it doesn't fulfill and com- and complete the promise that the Lord had gave him back in chapter number twelve. So this brings us then, with all that context caught up, to chapter number seventeen. From the ages of seventy-five to eighty-six, and now ninety-nine, God is maintaining and reminding Abram of his faithfulness to fulfill this great promise. So shall your offspring be. This is Abram's journey of faith, trusting God and his word when the circumstances around Abram told him a very different story. 
Is this not a story that we can directionally relate with? We look at scripture and we see promises. We look at the circumstances of our life and there seems to be conflict between those two. We run hard after God. We seek him in his word. We labor in prayer, asking for wisdom and direction. It seems as if the Lord is not answering. But could it not be as in the life of Abram, God has brought us to a season of waiting, of anticipation, of hope, trusting once again, afresh and anew that God is who he said he is. And because he is who he said he is, he will always fulfill his promises to his people. This morning, we're going to look at three aspects concerning this journey of faith. And the covenant relationship with God. My hope and my prayer is this. That we will leave with hope, truth, and grace. To continue to believe and to trust the promises of God. In our life. In the midst of circumstances that may be in conflict with those promises. At a given time in our life. So the big idea is this. Because God is the El Shaddai. As Andy proclaimed during our worship time. That is, he is the almighty God. Because he is the El Shaddai. He will remain faithful to fulfill his promises to his covenant people. He cannot do anything else but to be faithful to fulfill his his covenant promises with his people. This is the big idea of our text this morning. So the first aspect concerning this journey of faith is this. By faith, Abraham received the personal conditions of the covenant with God. First point. By faith, Abraham received the personal conditions of the covenant with God. Here we have another uh, theophany and appearance of of God to Abram, right? What is a theophany? It's just the visible manifestation of the invisible God. So God is revealing himself to Abram in a very unique way to establish some very important truths that God wants to establish in and through Abram's life. So the obvious question as we brought ourselves up to speed as far as the context of where we were at in Genesis, the obvious question is this. Why is the Lord seemingly establishing the covenant again with Abram? He gave the promise in chapter 12. He established the covenant in chapter number 15. Why does he need to now do it seemingly again in chapter number 17? As we look at the progressive building of this promise and covenant, we really can view chapter number 17 as what? A confirmation or a reaffirmation of the truth that has already been delivered to Abram in previous chapters. But in chapter number 17, there's new content. And that new content comes by way of a new sign that is attached to this already established covenant with Abraham and the promise of his offspring and generations to come right here in chapter number 17. Let's do this. Let's pause and read our text. We're going to read verses one through 14. And we'll continue with our message this morning. Chapter 17, verse number one, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 
Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly faithful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Verse seven. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations and for everlasting and for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan from an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Verse nine, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant, any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of the force of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my commandment. Let's open a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for this morning. It truly has been good to dwell in your house this morning. Thank you that even in the midst of not being able to have our regular setup of, of sound and audio and visual, uh, Father, we could still worship you. We are not dependent on those things. Father, you do not need those things from your people in order to uh, for us to be worshipers that worship you in spirit and in truth. So we thank you that we have made a joyful noise to you this morning. That was our heart and our desire. We thank you that your name has been lifted high. We thank you that there have been doctrinal truths of your grace and your provision and your character that have been proclaimed and declared from your people, your gathered church this morning. Pray that it would be pleasing in your sight, Father. And we pray now as we open up your word, and as we consider our way, as we consider the testimony that Abram has uh, been recorded by your Holy Spirit for us thousands of years later. Father, I pray that we would be moved by your spirit, that we would be changed to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So first point, by faith, Abraham received the personal conditions of the covenant with God. First aspect we're going to look at this morning in chapter number 17 and verse number one is that there is a reminder of who God is that is given to Abraham. There's a reminder of who God is. As Andy proclaimed, this is the first time in the Bible, the specific name of El Shaddai is used and recorded. If you're like me, El Shaddai's a name of the Lord that I heard growing up. I, there's songs that proclaim that name 
of God, and it's probably one that's, that's more familiar, right? Uh, we've, we've heard that in, in sermons. We've seen it in Scripture. Uh, but what does it mean, right? What, what is its significance to Abram? How, how is God utilizing this nuance of his name to speak truth about who God is into the life of Abram? It's important that as we continue to work our way through Genesis, there's going to be other names of God that are going to be brought about. And at that time, we'll take a a pause and we'll turn that stone over and we'll uh, flesh that out and determine ultimately what that means for us even today. So Yahweh, Elohim, the God of Genesis right here of the Bible refers to himself as what? El Shaddai. So what does it mean and what's its significance? El Shaddai literally means the almighty God. It's, it's right there in chapter number 17, verse number one. The significance of this expression of the personal work of God is particularly important as we consider not just the content of the promise, but what? The resources that God has chosen to use to fulfill this promise. Why is it important that Abram remembers that God The God that he serves, the God that he's in covenant relationship with is the almighty God. Well, we we talked about that in context, right? Abram is now how old? 99 years old. Sarai is pushing 90 years old. And the promise was what? To multiply his offspring beyond the count of the stars. And in Abram's human understanding, he's seeing the conflict of the promise and the reality of, hey, I'm an older vessel here and uh, there's only so much that can be done here. And Sarai is well beyond childbearing ages. How's this going to get done? How's this going to happen? How's God going to truly fulfill this promise that he's given to Abram? So what does God do? He starts out his dialogue with Abram. This way, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him the first statement, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Speculation here, but I can't help but wonder, did the Lord maybe find Abram in a time of doubt? A time of uncertainty and a time of anxiety over the promise that God has given him. And can he and will he really fulfill what he said he was going to do in and through me? So what was the first statement that God made after appearing to Abram? It was El Shaddai. To believe that God is truly able, that he is the almighty God. This is what he wanted to anchor Abram's faith and mind and heart on these realities. What's the beauty of this phrase? Beauty is this, that he's taking the impossible. Abram and Sarai, and he's making it possible, not because of the great faith of Abram or anything else. This is only possible because of who God is, because it is true that God is the El Shaddai, the almighty God. So again, God is anchoring Abram's potentially wavering and tired faith in who he is and his ability to actually bring about and complete that which he said he would do. 
So we see a reminder of who God is. We also see, secondly, the requirement that is given to Abram of obedience and holiness. We see in verse one, he goes on to say, and he said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be what? Blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. So it's a requirement of this covenant of obedience and holiness. It was a call to what? To consider one's way in contrast to the way of what? The Lord. Then we have this phrase, and be blameless. This was a call to personal holiness. Holiness is a timeless and universal requirement of communion with God. Why? Because God is what? He is holy. And if God is holy, it is a requirement of his people to be in relationship with the holy God. They too must be holy. First Peter tells us, be holy for I am holy. God presents himself to Abram. He anchors his truth on who he is, the El Shaddai. And then he does what? He requires obedience and holiness. Walk before me, Abram, and be blameless. The Lord's call for Abram to be blameless was certainly a requirement and condition of what? The covenant relationship with God. So God is calling him to immediate obedience and holiness. Why? So that it could literally be read. I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. These are the conditions of the covenant with God. So that, so I'm able I'm a holy God. I'm the El Shaddai. Walk before me, be blameless, so that I can establish and complete and fulfill this covenant relationship. So we see a reminder, a requirement. Thirdly, we see a response of Abram to the word of the Lord in verse number three. Verse number three, we see a response. Then Abram did what? He fell on his face. I love this. Abram fell on his face. What was Abram's response to the word of the Lord, to the truth that he is El Shaddai? What was Abram's response of the call on God to immediate obedience and true holiness as God is holy? Abram falls on his face in an act of worship to the Lord. This exercise, this modeling of a prostrate disposition before the Lord. This was a response to the declaration of the Lord's name as well as his unmerited favor towards Abram. This is a posture of what humility. Abram responded to the truth of God's word by falling on his face. He didn't debate. He didn't question. He didn't get clarification. What was his response? It was falling on his face before the Lord. Abram right here in this posture and disposition of humility, he's realizing that God is able, but he's also realizing that he himself is, is not. When God reveals himself in this way, and certainly when God reveals himself to us in scriptures through the ministry of the spirit, can we not recognize that, hey, God, you are able because I'm being confronted with what the truth of who you are. And as I receive that truth, what should our response be? It should be humility falling on our face. God, you alone can bring about that word. God, you alone can bring that promise to fruition. I cannot. 
I'm not able to manufacture the circumstances of my life. I'm not able to take the reins and control and, and, and bring about the promise that, that you said you would do. God, in your timing, in your way, in your wisdom, you alone are able. And as Abraham fell on his face in response to the truth that God had delivered to him, he's communicating a picture of 100% dependency on the Lord to bring about this great work. Abram, get this, is bringing nothing but his grace-enabled faith to the table. Even his faith in God is grace-enabled. God and God alone will do this work. So by faith, Abraham received the personal conditions of the covenant with God. Secondly, by faith, Abraham received the expansive promise of the covenant with God. By faith, Abraham received the expansive promise of the covenant with God. We're going to see this in verses four through eight. The El Shaddai, God Almighty, goes on to declare the specifics of the reaffirmation of the covenant with Abraham. And begins first by calling out that the object of this covenant with Abram is who? Who's the object of this covenant? Is it Abram? It's, it's God, right? Really, he's the one that initiates. He's the one that establishes. He's the one that completes it and brings it about. The purpose of this covenant with, with Abraham is that does God need a people? Does, does God need the praise? No, but he certainly through his creation desires to be in relationship with them. Why? Because they're creating the image and likeness of God. And so he's redeeming a people for himself, for his glory. Not Abraham's. We know Matthew 5.16 tells us that others would see our good works. Why? So that they may glorify our Father which is in heaven. God is choosing, he's calling out Abram to be in relationship and covenant relationship only with Abram and his offspring and generations to come. Why? Not so that he could make Abram great. Is he going to do that? Yeah. But what's the purpose of making Abram great? So that the name of God, of Yahweh, El Shaddai Elohim can be made great, right? So the object of the covenant is certainly God himself. It is for his glory. But who does he use to bring about that covenant? It's Abram. God initiated and established this covenant relationship with Abram. He chose Abram. Abram did not choose God. The Lord goes on out to outwardly express this covenant relationship by changing the identity of Abram's name. Let's pick up at verse number four. Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. So the good news is that we can all stop saying Abram. I'm getting tripped up over that. And we can say Abraham like, like we all know it, right? So here it is. His, his, as a result of this reaffirmed covenant relationship with Abram, his identity, how he is known in the world is literally changed. It's literally changed. The Lord declares that you are no longer Abram, meaning high and exalted father, but rather he is to be known now as Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. And who gave him that name? 
It's God. God gave him that name. And so for all the days and even the days for us, thousands of years later, we know that God chose Abram, changed his identity, gave him the name so that he would be known as what? A father of multitude. And who made him a father of multitude? El Shaddai, the God Almighty. This is a beautiful testimony to who God is, to his renown, to his fame, what he will be known for, for all ages, that God has done this work. We often see this pattern in scripture that a person's name is altered to signify a change that has occurred, occurred in their relationship with God, right? This isn't uncommon, but here we see it the first time right here with Abram to now being known as Abraham. So we observe first the conditions and secondly, the promise of the covenant with God. Finally, let's look at the reality that by faith, Abraham received the earthly confirmation of the covenant with God. We see these in the final few verses, nine verses, verses nine through 14. This earthly confirmation of the covenant with God, as seen in our text here this morning, is the practice of circumcision. So this morning, my goal with this section specifically is, is twofold. I really prayerfully desire to arrive at the true meaning of the text. I want to be appropriate and I desire to be helpful in our understanding of how this practice of circumcision is used in our text today and ultimately the spiritual implications of how circumcision is used as an illustration for us even in the church age today. So I want to be careful, I want to be appropriate, and I want to get to the meaning of the text, right? That's my goal. And I pray that that will be helpful for us in understanding what God has for us in this idea of circumcision. So first aspect of Abram receiving this earthly confirmation of the covenant with God is that circumcision functions as a sign. Circumcision functions as a sign, just like the rainbow for the Noahic covenant and the Sabbath for the Mosaic covenant. We have circumcision as the sign that is given for the Abrahamic covenant. These are all reminders of God's gracious promises to his covenant people. Functions as a sign. Submitting oneself to this requirement, the requirement of circumcision represented a desire to what walk before God and to be blameless. Those were the conditions of the covenant that God gave to Abram. And those conditions are going to funnel down to every person who is involved in this covenant relationship. They, too, are going to be required to walk before God and to be blameless for the purpose of maintaining intimate fellowship and relationship with God. So God establishes a sign, a condition. You must do this in order to be in covenant relationship with me. It is the sign. And the why behind the sign was for the purpose of maintaining the intimate fellowship and relationship with God. If we'll remember all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, we are reminded that God alone is the creator, which makes Abraham and us, for that matter, the what? Not creator, but the creation. God's word in Psalm 139 reminds us that God alone shapes and fashions us in our mother's womb. 
He knows every hair on our head. It's been counted. He knows us physically and spiritually with the deepest intimacy that we could ever imagine. There's an intimacy in being known in that way. God desires to be in relationship with his people in that way. A covenant was a declaration of commitment, a commitment to forsake all others and hold to only the one that is before us. Similar to the covenant of marriage, traditional vows that would be read on a wedding day to forsake all others. This is a covenant. So it's to represent a removal, a putting off of all other practices or worship of other gods. This was to represent in a very intimate way, total consecration to the Lord. This was a setting part of Abraham and his offspring to the Lord. That reality was to be expressed through the practice of and the sign of circumcision. God, couldn't you chose something else? Wasn't there a different way? Our human wisdom and understanding tries to dismiss the importance and the reality of what God was doing here through this sign of circumcision for his covenant with Abraham. So it served as a sign. Secondly, circumcision functions as a reminder. How does it serve as a reminder? It reminds them of their need. Their need then and certainly our need now to walk before God and to be what? Blameless. It gives us a reminder that we must put off or put away some other things in order to maintain fellowship with the Lord. Other Old Testament passages reference this idea of circumcision to draw our attention to the reality of what must be done in order to maintain intimate relationship and communion with the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, 16 and 17 says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. It's a reminder of what? The fact that I am sinful and God is not. He is holy and therefore I must be holy. So do what? Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Put away your stubbornness. Put away your sin. Put away your flesh. And love and serve God. Walk before God and be blameless. It's a reminder. Deuteronomy 30, verse number 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. It's an illustration. It's a representation a spiritual work and a spiritual relationship that needs, that must be maintained in order to be his covenant people. For us, it serves as a reminder that the law has been fulfilled, that we are no longer under the demands of the law, that circumcision is no longer a requirement, but we are under a new covenant, a covenant of grace. Paul uses this reality in Galatians chapter five, and he says this in verses two through six. Look, 
I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only what? Faith working through love. For by grace, you're saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a reminder to us of the beauty of the cross the richness of the grace that we've been given in Christ that he lavished upon us. It's a reminder of the inheritance that we've been given in Christ, that we don't have to live under the compulsion and burden of the law, but his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This is the beauty of what circumcision reminds us of this morning for our day and for our age and for our time right here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. This is the journey of faith. One marked by faithfulness perfectly and completely on behalf of God. One marked by struggle, but yet by God's grace never failed on behalf of Abraham. Friends, there are many takeaways in a passage that is rich in the character of God, the promises of God and the persistence of God to continue to pursue and to save a remnant people for his glory. Friends, this morning, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of his word. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you are God. You are God alone. We thank you for the hope that you have chosen us. What a beautiful reality that is, Father. Thank you for this text that we can look at and examine really who you are how you provided, how you never gave up, that your character was constant, it was sure, it never failed. And although there may have been waiting, although there may have been decades that passed, you established and you fulfilled and you completed the covenant. And as we continue to work our way through this text, even next week, the beautiful hope that you are going to bring about your perfect plan through Abraham and Sarah, giving them a son, Isaac, So, Father, we look forward to continue to know you and that our understanding of you would be deepened. It would be broadened in new and fresh ways as a result of continuing our way through the book of Genesis. So, Father, now as we split off into our application and implementation time, I pray that your spirit would stir us up, that we would not just be hearers of your word, deceiving ourselves but we would be doers. We would consider our way. We would walk before you and be blameless. We'd remember that you are the El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Because you are the El Shaddai, you will remain faithful to fulfill your promises to your covenant people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.